Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'll go ahead and open them up with me to uh, Hebrews 11, and we'll also be in 1 Samuel 17. Hebrews 11 and 1 Samuel 17. We'll spend the majority of our time today in 1 Samuel 17. I hope that you take a moment there in your home or wherever you are to go ahead and open up the scriptures so that you can follow along and try to limit your distractions so that you're able to truly have a time of worship uh, wherever you might be joining us today. So this week, uh, let's talk a little housekeeping. This week, we hope to begin the process of coming out of the bunkers. Anybody have an amen for that? Uh, And so Governor Abbott is scheduled to speak tomorrow, and one of the things that he has said is that he's going to begin outlining some next steps for the process, and I emphasize process, of reopening the economy uh, here in Texas. And I just want to say thank you to our church family. I appreciate your flexibility, your attitude, and have we not just experienced a wonderful sense of unity, even though we are physically separate We have been spiritually united during this time. I'm so very, very proud to be a part of this congregation. Murphy Church is my tribe. You are my people. We are in this together. We are with him, and we are with one another. And I'm so thankful for you. It is an absolute honor to be your pastor. I I deeply value your prayers and praise God that even during this COVID-19 season, he has actually used this time as an opportunity to extend uh, the reach of our church. In fact, one of the things that we have learned uh, is that there are many, many people who maybe they're in the healthcare industry or because of their health or because of their work schedules or they travel a lot for whatever reason We've learned that they aren't able to attend church physically as often as they would like. And so the Lord has actually opened a lot of doors. And we, we, we look forward to our campus ministry returning and developing a sense of normal. But we also are thankful for this opportunity to begin what we've started calling the Murphy Church at Home Ministry. And we hope to continue bringing you Bible study, music, and discipleship there where you are, so whether you're physically able to be here or not, we can be together in Christ. But I do value your prayers as we ask God, what's next? And that's a good question for all of us. What's next? How does your life change going forward? This time that we've been in isolation is a reset time. But what fears do you have? What anxieties do you have as you move forward? Is faith playing a starring role in your life right now? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And then it goes on to say in verse 6, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did you catch that? 
It is impossible to please God without faith. What is God looking for from you? He wants you to trust Him. He wants your faith. So what has God called you to in your life that demands of you faith? You know what I'm talking about? The 64-ounce, double big gulp size challenge that makes you swallow hard. And whenever you think about that calling that God's put in front of you, that challenge that God's put in front of you, it just gives you a brain freeze just thinking about it. What are the God-sized dreams in your life right now? God-sized dreams collide with our senses of fear and logic. God-sized dreams will unmask our insufficiencies and they will reveal God's total sufficiency. God-sized dreams demand that power and faith transfer from us to God so that God intervenes into our life and does something that only He can do. Are you dreaming any God-sized dreams right now? Is He calling you to any challenges in your life that you know that if He doesn't intervene, you're, you're in trouble? Hebrews chapter 11 is just an entire chapter of example after example of God's people having to exercise faith. And when they trust in God, God moves in their direction. I'm not exactly sure how this happens in the divine economy of God. But when we place our faith in Him, when we draw near to Him in prayer, we find God moving into our direction, into our lives. And I want to talk to you about one aspect of faith that is often ignored, and that is courage. Faith always takes courage to take the next step. When God calls you to what's next, there's always some type of crisis within us. When a new season begins, it creates a crisis of faith within us. And it takes courage to just keep doing the next right thing. Think about the courage that Noah had to display whenever he endured ridicule and loneliness while he was building the ark. How about Abraham and Sarah who had to leave the homeland where they were all comfortable and then they had to go through a season of infertility and nobody understood. How about uh, Sarah who, who had a baby? Can you imagine this? She had a baby in her 90s. She, doubled, she would have doubled the median age in our Rooted Life group having a baby in her 90s. How about Joseph? For him, courage meant running from the seduction of Potiphar's wife. How about Moses? For him, courage meant that he was going to have to go face to face with Pharaoh and say, let my people go. For Joshua, courage meant that he was going to have to go to his people and say, be strong and courageous, let's go into the land. For Joshua, courage meant following an illogical plan that required them to march around Jericho so that the walls could fall down and God's power could be displayed. For Ruth, courage meant starting over again when she lost her husband. For Esther, courage meant going into the king and trying to save her people from genocide. And no list of courage, no list of the Faith Hall of Fame is complete without the ruddy shepherd boy from Bethlehem by the name of David. So if you have your Bibles now, look with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Go ahead, open up that Bible and, and take a look at it. So here's the context. Israel is at war with the Philistines. 
Now, the Philistines were kind of biblical beach bums. They lived on the west coast there in Palestine, but they had an industry, they had a skill that was very, very helpful for them. They were iron workers. Israel, on the other hand, they were primarily farmers. They were Aggies. So perhaps God likes Aggies, right, Stacy? Stacy Carr back here. I know David and Randy and a few others are watching, and you would agree that God likes Aggies, and there might be a little disagreement on that. But uh, the Aggies, the Israelites, they were dependent on the Philistines and their iron worker working so that they would have tools to work the land. So the Aggies decide that they need a little bit more independence, and they're going to the SEC, and the next thing you know, war breaks out. So Israel and the Philistines are in war, and that's where we pick up the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 3. The Bible says that the Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were on another hill with a ravine between them. And then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp, and catch this, he was nine feet nine inches tall. Who is the tallest person that you know? When I used to pastor in Austin, I had a deacon. His name was Johnny Duncan. In fact, Johnny might even be watching today, but Johnny is six feet eight. And I remember one day we were doing a project around the church where we were uh, trimming trees, and I was up on this tree on a ladder with my pruners cutting the branches, and I look over and Johnny's reaching the same level of branches, but he just, he's just standing flat on his feet with the pruners above his head. <laughs> I'm on a ladder, and he's just standing flat-footed. Talk about a tall guy. And this giant Goliath, this dude was three feet taller than Johnny the Giant. Not only was he huge, but Goliath was a pesky giant. Every day, he'd come out, and he would just taunt the Israelites. You see, the ancients had come up with a pretty, pretty good game plan. Rather than go to battle and everybody run down the hill and take their swords and kill each other, and then you have this big mess, they decided, we'll just choose a champion. And rather than making it 10,000 on 10,000, we can just make it one-on-one. And so their champion was Goliath. And Goliath would come out every single day and just taunt the Israelites. He'd say to them, hey, if you're going to be the man, you have to beat the man. Woo! You know, and then he would go back to his, to his tribe. And every day, this kept going on. And the Israelites were just paralyzed with fear. They were like, would he please just go away? And that's how most of us are when we face the giants in our lives. Wouldn't it be great if all those giant challenges just went away? Wouldn't it be great? To just be able to sit around the house and have people bring food to your door at the push of a button and not have to be on the go all the time? <laughs> Wouldn't that just be great for about 40 days? Wouldn't it be great to have problem-free children? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have children that never bicker? Or maybe who can just brush their teeth in under an hour? Wouldn't it be great to have People that are always just willing to help with the laundry and dishes and have a pleasant attitude. Wouldn't it be great if all the giants just went away? How would you react if tomorrow you wake up 
to breaking news. There has been a vaccine or a cure for the coronavirus. And that mystical giant that we call the coronavirus out there would just go away. We dream of Goliath-free lives where faith and courage are not needed. But the reality is that we all face giants. It might be the giant of death, the giant of divorce. Maybe you're going through the giant of infertility, the giant of adoption. Maybe emotionally, you're struggling right now with the giant of depression or anxiety. I saw that several of you lifted up prayer requests that we pray for people that are searching for jobs. And what a mountain to climb that can be. The career challenge, the career change, the next job. Maybe it's a giant financial setback. Maybe it's the giant of graduation. I think about our seniors who are going through this last season of their K-12 through years and suddenly everything has changed earlier than they ever imagined. What is the giant in your life that you're facing right now? We're all struggling to some degree with the emotional giants of isolation. Maybe you at times feel a little bit trapped, anxious, or depressed. These pesky giants are a part of life. And even whenever the bunker season changes and we go back out into the world and we start high-fiving and seeing each other again, there's still going to be giants in your life. You can have all the creativity of Walt Disney. You can have the success of Steve Jobs, the money of Jerry Jones. You can have the beauty of Queen Esther, the wisdom of King Solomon, and you're still going to have to face those pesky giants. When you were younger, did you ever do anything that wasn't very wise? Did you ever do anything that wasn't very wise? Well, David's a young teen, and he hears this giant, Goliath, defying God day after day, and, and he asking someone to come fight him. And so David speaks out, I'll do it. I'll go fight him. Now, mind you, he's surrounded by all these soldiers who are scared to death, and he's like, I'll, I'll go fight him. Now, let me say to our younger viewers that are watching today. The world needs your faith. One of the great things about being in those younger years, those teen years, those years of the 20s and early 30s, is that you have faith and energy and optimism and a certain boldness about you. The world needs that. The church needs that. David shows us here that a teen with great faith courage and a willingness to obey God can change the world and David takes that step of faith and he takes that step of boldness and it, it wasn't necessarily wise but it was bold and he was trusting God now what David said in verse 31 is where I am what David said was overheard and so they report David's word to the king King Saul and so he had David brought to him and David said to Saul, now this is a teenage boy coming into the king of the country, and he says to him, hey, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant, yeah, I will go and fight the Philistine. And the king looks at him and says, you can't go fight the Philistine. You ever had anybody say, you can't? 
you can't do it? Well, here was the reason why he couldn't. Because you're just a youth. You're just a kid. You haven't done anything. He's been a warrior since he was young. And David answered Saul, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep, and whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, (laughs) I love David's imagery here, I would grab it by its fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Don't you just love this guy's courage? And then David said, the Lord who rescued me. Now look where David's focus and trust was. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David had great confidence. He may have even had a little hubris and boldness, but he did so because he was trusting in the Lord. And so the king of Israel, Saul, says to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Public courage is forged through private faith. Crises like this reveal the depths of faith within. When you find yourself in a crisis, what you have been cultivating and building within you reveals itself. The power of God above you, adversity provides a stage for the performance of God. When God is with you, these difficult moments of life become his greatest moments. David had a lot going for him now. David, if you look at his life, he had a genius IQ. He was wise He was also poetic. He was politically savvy. The Bible says that he was a handsome man. He had a a large skill set. But at this time, he was just an unknown shepherd boy living in Hicksville, Israel. He had a lonely and a lowly job. And David spent many days and nights in isolation. But it was during those moments of isolation when he was out on the hillside that God was building him into a man of courage during those lonely moments God was building within him great character you find that David's music his poetry was often written during his seasons of isolation and so when the moment came When the lights were on and the cameras came on, David was ready for the stage. He was ready to take that next step. Integrity actually has the same root as integrated. Faith and courage have to be integrated throughout all of our life. What I mean by this is you can't wait until you're smelling Goliath's cologne to summon courage. Great courage is not just this light switch that you turn on and off. Public faith is forged through private faith. You become a person of faith. You become a person of character. You spend those morning hours in prayer and Bible study and communing with your Lord. And God begins to build within you a courage and a strength that whenever times get difficult, He displays His glory and your story reveals His glory. Before Jesus had the courage to stand and face the cross, He prayed by Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
before Paul became the great missionary who started churches all throughout the known world, before Paul did all of that, he spent four years in isolation in the Arabian desert. Before Moses led Israel out of bondage and became one of the great liberators the world has ever known, before he did that, he spent 40 years on the backside of a mountain watching sheep. And before David stared down Goliath, God had forged the heart of a king in the body of a shepherd boy. God had been at work in his life. And so when the moment came, David was ready. Look at verse 38 there in your text. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David, and he put on a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. And David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk. For you kids that are trying to imagine this, it's like he had all of his Minecraft armor on and he, he couldn't even move because he was not used to them. And so he says to King Saul, I can't walk in these. I'm not used to them. So David takes them all off, and instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. How crazy is this? No armor, no real military training. All he has is the experience and the equipment of a shepherd. He takes his staff. And he takes a sling and five smooth stones. You say, why did he need five smooth stones? Why didn't he just take one? Where's his faith in that? Well, Goliath had some brothers. <laughs> so he had to be prepared for the future. And the Bible says that Saul, King Saul, was head and shoulders taller than the other men of Israel. So Saul may have been a seven-footer himself. But his 48 extra-long armor was no good. David took what God had given him. His faith, his staff, a small sling, and five stones. And he took it to battle. What has God given you? What are the resources? What are the opportunities? What are the moments that God has brought to your life? Those that have traversed great pain possess great strength. And those moments of quietness, those moments of pain, of isolation... They do not go to waste in the kingdom of God. The king of the universe, almighty God, he uses your past for his glory. David didn't have 200 pounds of armor and a huge shield. Just a young man with great courage and a big faith. But he gave the small things to God and it revealed to us a big God. God doesn't expect you to have all the answers. What's tomorrow going to look like? What's next week going to look like? How's our society changed? How has business been damaged? What's going to happen in the days ahead? God doesn't expect you to have all those answers. And here's a little secret. The most self-assured leaders you know, they don't know either. They don't have all the answers either. Sometimes all you have is the next step. So just do the next right thing, trust God, keep moving forward. But God does expect of you to trust Him. God does expect of you to go forward in faith. 
You say, Lash, I, I don't have any faith to give right now. I, I, I just feel empty. I, I don't have any faith. Sometimes the way you get faith is by drawing near to God. Just spend time in His presence. If you, if you don't have faith right now, have you ever asked God, Lord, would you just fill me with faith? Look with me to verses 41 through 50, where the story reaches its, its climax here in verses 41 through 50. 50. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? I mean, Goliath is literally insulted that Israel brings out a teenager with a stick in his hand. What are you wanting me to do? Go play fetch or something like that? And then he cursed David by his gods. Now, that was a big mistake. Okay, you don't curse the, curse the Lord. And he says, come here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. Now, that's when David should be taking the big gulp, right? But David looks at the Philistine. <laughs> I love this. You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, and you have defiled him. I come against you, brother, in the name of the Lord, the armies of God, the ranks of Israel, and guess what? You have defiled him, and today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpse to the Philistine camps of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. And then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. Now catch this. For the battle is the Lord. Somebody say glory. Somebody say hallelujah. For the battle is the Lord and he will hand you over to us. Talk about a faith. And so, in verse 48, the Philistines started forward to attack him, and David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now, there's a little in between the lines here, because the Philistine moves forward, and he is slow and cumbersome. He's used to just marching, marching directly at his opponent, but David is able to run quickly. He's not unencumbered, he's lean and mean, and he runs quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine, and he puts in his, his hand in the bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and it hit the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. Can you imagine the Goliath earthquake that must have taken place when that nine-foot-nine giant of a man came tumbling down? And David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without even having a sword. Now, I want you to take note of one thing in this story. We, we often talk about the story of David and Goliath as the story of the underdog. This little guy takes on this huge giant and he's able to knock him down. And so we say, hey, uh, this, this sporting event, this football game, whatever it might be, it's a David and Goliath event. And we talk about how, how David is such a hero and he's got such boldness and, and the little underdog needs to be David. But David is not the hero of this story. In fact, if you read David's life, you find that David's life, time and time again, speaks to the fact that he is not the hero. 
the hero of the story is God. He's the one who intervenes into the scene. David should have died. David really wasn't acting in a wise way at all. God intervened to save him. And if you read the story of David's reaction, you'll find that David celebrated the victory of God. We need to celebrate the goodness of God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Celebrate the goodness of God. How has God been good to you? What are the victories that God is bringing into your life? Where were those moments where you stared the giant in the eye and you could smell his breath and it smelled foul and you didn't know if you could overcome that crisis, but you kept going forward in faith and God intervened and God saved you? Adults, we we often remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. Where is your courage challenge today? What's the giant that demands of you faith? Is there an area in your life right now where you're saying, God, I need you to intervene? Sometimes you need to remember. I think that's one of those reasons why we love the story so much. Some people call it the most beloved story of the entire Old Testament. Because we need it there so that we can remember that sometimes we're the underdog and we're facing this battle that we don't think we can overcome, but God intervenes and saves us. That we might be small, we might be insufficient, but we have an all-powerful, almighty God who can take on any giant in our life. Look back in your life. You, You remember how you were once lost? You once were in isolation away from God enslaved to your sin but Jesus died for your sin he overcame death so that you might have life abundantly here and life eternally with him do you remember that I remember whenever I was a sixth grade six-year-old boy and knelt beside my bed and God changed my heart and transformed my life remember those moments where God intervened into your scene do you remember what was it four or five years ago five years ago when we went through the hailstorm together You remember whenever you drove through Wiley, Texas, and there were blue tarps on all the houses? You remember whenever we all uh, had our roofs repaired? And I remember there were families. In fact, I I came across a list of families from that hailstorm the other night where we were checking on people, and it just had, okay, this family is displaced from their home. This family is staying with with others. This, This family had their cars destroyed. I remember one day standing right here asking our congregation, how many of you, how many of you were hit by the hailstorm? Every single hand went up. How many of you are gonna have to have a new roof? Every single hand went up. How many of you had your your house damaged? Everybody was in the same situation going through that. But you know what? We went through it together. And do you remember, God took care of us. God walked with us. Do you remember whenever that loved one died? And the waves of grief began slamming into your heart day after day. And it just seemed insurmountable and you didn't know how you were going to keep going forward. But then the Holy Spirit began to comfort you and you just took one step at a time and You still grieve, you still miss, you still look forward to the day that we have the reunion together in heaven, but you can testify that God is faithful and that His goodness and mercy 
They follow you. They don't leave you. He keeps running after you because God loves you with an extravagant love. It is an undeserved love, but he extends it to you through grace in Jesus Christ. I know the giant is big, and I know it's easy to run. I know it's easy to hunker down in the stained glass monastery and say, hey, we're all safe together. It's easy to be afraid, but let's be strong and courageous. Let's face the giant with a humble faith. Let's Ask God boldly, what's next? Lord, help us to take that next step. Lord, we know it's a process. We know that everything doesn't just fix itself overnight. But Lord, we're going to take the next step and the next step, and we're going to trust you, and we're going to believe in you. And Lord, we are going to believe that you desire to do great and mighty things because you are a big God who calls his people to place their faith totally in you. And though your faith may be as small, Jesus said, as a mustard seed, your God God is bigger than the universe. So who are you trusting in today? Yourself or the Lord? I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in your life, in your family. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in our church. I, I, I can't wait to hear the stories of life change, the stories of an awakening as, as the power of God begins to display itself in people's lives and homes and throughout our community. This is a reset moment where we set our hearts upon God. And he nourishes our soul. And he calls us to live our life with integrity, courage, faith. And to use the story that he has given you. The pains of the past, the difficulties of the past. God wants to use that story for his glory. God wants to use the coronavirus story for his glory. I'm not saying it's good, don't hear me wrongly. But I'm saying that my God can work all, all things together for the good of those that love God who are called according to his purpose. You be that person of faith. You be that person of courage. And God will use your story in ways that display his glory. I love you guys. We're walking together. We're with him and we're with one another. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, please let me know. If you're at that point in your life where you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, just send me an email, prayer at murphychurch.com. Let me know, Pastor Lash, while you were preaching today, the Lord got a hold of my heart, and, and I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. Will you help me with what's next? I'd love to be a pastor to you. Let's pray. As I pray, the musicians are going to come. We'll have a time of worship. We're going to have a time of giving here in a few moments. And then a time of announcements as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you for your goodness, for your power, and for this story that is settled within the pages of the Old Testament. A story from antiquity that is so relevant today. This young man that had faith and courage to trust you. Who saw you display your power in a way that only you can do. And I ask, Lord, that as we begin thinking about what's next, and we also realize, Lord, that some things have changed, that you will give us the faith and the courage to just do the next right thing, 
to trust you. And Father, I pray for an awakening that we will see you work and that we will be, we will be able to testify of your power and goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Let's worship together.